Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Now today's crime happened in Melbourne back in the early 80s, around the same time Dad was a cop uh, over in New South Wales. And because it's such a harrowing story, we thought we would start with a little bit of levity just to sort of cut through the intensity of this case. Dad's just gotten back from a series of live shows, a mm. series of live Loose Units performances over in Melbourne. Dad, how would you rate uh, the past couple of days for us? Incredibly full on. I am actually, I I just am so fatigued. <laughs> I'm so, I'm ratchet. How would you, I mean, because a lot of people haven't, and this is fine, I'm not judging, but a lot of people haven't actually done stuff on stage before what generally happens is you give everything you've got physically everything. emotionally and then the, the come down is very real isn't it oh so christian and i flew to melbourne last friday so mm-hmm. for people hearing this podcast you'll be hearing it tomorrow because <laughs> i mean it's weird tomorrow is actually tuesday for everyone right unless you're in some other country where the time like if you're in america it'll Still be Monday. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, you can tell I'm delirious, clearly. Yeah, it's it's this kind of, um, your brain just sort of turns to pudding. You'll start a perfectly, you know, salient point and then you'll just kind of get distracted. Which mm. And you get distracted when you're, when you're rested. I can't True. imagine how hard it is to keep track of things right now. It's been challenging. Yeah. Um, I feel as though I'm slightly dyslexic, dyslexic when I'm typing. I'm okay. mixing all my letters up. Right. Um, trying not to dwell on that. In case it is a an ongoing no, just kidding. So we fly into Melbourne, uh, excited, nervous. Hadn't done the live show for almost three years. Sounds just it's three years is a long time. I mean, there are mm-hmm. children that are born and then they get to their third birthday. Right. That's right. from a parent's perspective. It's a long time. They may be able to talk at three when they couldn't talk when they were born. 
Sorry, it's going, very, it's going <laughs> very well. Listen, just just out of curiosity, so we will be playing the live shows on the podcast feed. You'll be able if you make right. it to our live shows, you'll be able to hear yeah. how they went, what True. they were like. Having know, said uh, that, Paul, we did cut out a certain section. Yes, we did our first show. We, said the, we would. Uh, I, I'm sure the people that night couldn't believe their ears, their, their luck, and their ears. I mean, they were mm. lucky to hear the story. Yeah, but I'm yeah. sorry, no one else is going to get to hear that. Except if no. we do, or when we do more live shows, we might be teased into telling that particular tale. I don't know. I feel like it. Look, I was tempted to keep it in, but I didn't want to get us in trouble. True. So, uh, True. so it's gone now. Anyway, it's gone. Yeah, but look, it was a really, really fun experience. It was really great to be together in person uh, and actually just chat through some stuff. The crowd was amazing. amazing. The matinee show was amazing, hmm. and the venue. Oh, the venue, the venue was wonderful. Yeah. Comedy Republic, wonderful Love. venue. Just, it was so intimate. Mm, and we told some terrifying stories and talking to the people at the sound desk afterwards and them going, guys, this is a comedy venue. We generally don't hear this kind of stuff uh, when we're paneling shows. Mm. And whilst both shows were quite fun and funny and we got lots of laughs, at the, at the core of it, you were telling very traumatic tales to the crowd. And today's tale in the show is extremely traumatic. It didn't mm. actually, I didn't actually know about this Nor did case, I. but it all took place around 1980 mm. uh, in Melbourne, yep. in uh, Frankston and Tainong North, around that area. And these murders are actually still technically unsolved. If mm. you go to the uh, Vic Police website, there's a reward of $1 million for information per victim, and there were six victims. Is that which right? Means, which means, technically speaking, mm-hmm. someone that comes forth with information that solves the case could be up for $6 million. Yes, yes. And it's tax-free. Is it? Yes. It's like a... Well, prizes are tax-free. Uh, yeah, but if you start earning... I believe once you start earning interest off the money... Oh, that's different. Yeah, okay. The initial amount, which is kind of... It's weird that I'm mentioning that, and I don't want people to think, John, that's very shallow, but, you know... I'm a shallow person sometimes, and I like to be shallow because I'm such a deep person. There's a cross to bear being so full on in life, and occasionally I like to just sort of be whimsical. Yes, so, Mm. Paul, we we chose this story, and I would like to say from the outset, thank you for bringing this to my attention. And I'm slightly... Like during the live shows, I did make particular mention over the weekend in Melbourne how quickly and how sad it is in our society how we forget things that are just because of the incredible news feed, the cycle of news, the things that are happening in the world. It's so intense. And we all know this, listeners, but I did not know about this case. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you all. I'm, I was saddened and somewhat almost ashamed that I didn't know about the murder of six women. Yeah. I just, how on earth could I not know about that? Well, part of the problem, Dad, is that a serial killer, and this, look, listeners, this does have the hallmarks of a serial killer, except for one very strange detail which will become apparent. I want you all to kind of try and figure out as you listen, uh, because serial killers have a type, don't they? They have a common methodology and they have a specific thing about their victims that ties them all together and god damn it if we can't find what that thing is at least i can't dad can mm. you find any commonality no, this, between- this is a very very interesting case the the, yeah. the first thing that struck me and 
possibly would have struck the police, not initially, mm. because you need more and more information to be able to sort of fly above in a helicopter and look down on the case. But when you've got the entirety of the known victims, I say known victims, because terribly, terribly, there may well be more victims. But there's something that really is very, very um, obvious when you look at the six images of the six women. And would you sort of care to sort of elaborate on that or would you like me to Paul uh you can elaborate if you like but let's just let's just kind of set the scene okay so this takes place back in 1980 well it takes place between 1980 and 1983 Mm. and uh it's basically the problem is I know these areas now I've been living Mm. in Melbourne for a while and Mm. uh it's it's extremely odd the two locations are Tainung North and Frankston between 80 and 83 Mm. uh now Australians know a lot about Australian serial killings. They know about Snowtown. They know about Port Arthur. But this is, I mean, there is a particularly kind of dinky little theme park called Gumbaya World, right? Um, Which is out near Tainong North. And it's, you know, it's a little sad and daggy and very Australian. And I've been driving through that area every once in a while with Tegan for many years now. And I never at any point thought, oh, this is the site of a serial killing. Um, But it's been over four decades and there's been no kind of movement in this case that I'm aware of. But, okay, walk us through exactly what we're talking about here. All right. So when you first look at the six known victims, listeners, the glaringly obvious thing, and I I guess it would have affected police at the time Mm -hmm. because initially they thought it was... The cases were not necessarily related. And the reason... One of the primary reasons is looking at their ages. There are two distinct categories of victims. Three of the women are, I'm loath to use the term elderly, but but let's just say young mm-hmm. victims by three, elderly victims by three. Yeah. That in itself seems to be counterintuitive in terms of thinking of this group as being the victims of one offender. The first victim, yeah, Alison Rook. Mm. So May the 30th, 1980. She was mm. 59, which I think, you know, technically it qualifies as elderly. Mm. Maybe not so much anymore given life expectancy, but... She was headed to uh, Frankston, and if you're not from Melbourne, Frankston's just kind of a suburb out, at, you know, out. Uh, I'd say 45 minutes from Melbourne via train, and so she was headed there to uh, pick up some groceries, pay some bills, and after about 11 a.m., she disappeared. Now she she normally drove to get all her errands done, but her plan, because her car wasn't working, was to take public transport, and uh, which is incredibly. It's just pivotal in terms of Melbourne. The yes. Melbourne transport system, mm. I would say, having used it in the last few days and having used it many times in the past, is, I'm going to say this, it's second to none. And we, we were on a train yesterday heading into Melbourne CBD and the the vibe on the, the train and the trams is totally different to Sydney. It's just got this vibe. It's sort of very, very different. It's 
Quite wonderful, the difference between the two cities. Paul, she was having car trouble. She's going to use public transport. But I think we all need to, at this juncture, just look again from above and and think about this particular case or series of um, murders. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is really striking, because something we've always discussed in the past, is that many, many, you know, terrible crimes that are committed and these types of crimes are committed at night time under the cover of darkness. You can't beat it. Mm -hmm. But every single one of these abductions happens in broad daylight in crowded areas, which is just unbelievable. And the police, they, they thought that they would have an incredible number of witnesses to these six crimes. And they just were astounded and very, very despondent and disappointed. At some of the press conferences, the senior investigating police were were flabbergasted as to the lack of concern by the members of the public. It's mm-hmm. just this apathy. So it's to me, when you talk about crimes of this nature taking place in broad daylight... It's. I think that's extra creepy. Yeah, because you think you're safe during the day, right? That's right. And and who or who would have the balls and the audacity? So that makes you then think about the offender. Well, you've got long stretches of road uh, between the locations, and you've got a elderly woman. Uh, basically, look. What I'm trying to say is that I read through all these all these victims and went. All of them seem vulnerable in one way, and that is that. It's, it strikes me as fairly obvious that the murderer, whoever they are, uh, could probably have grabbed them all by offering them a lift because it seems like that's what they all needed. Yes. Right? They're all alone mm. um, and it's quite a way to their destinations. And God, I mean, it, it was 1980, so I'm assuming the attitude around hitchhiking was quite different. But she disappeared uh, sometime after 11 a.m. on the 30th of May. Um, and yeah, do you think it was possible that she was picked up by somebody offering her a ride? One of the very obscure theories, and I don't mm. know whether you can actually define a theory as obscure, because in a murder, a homicide investigation of this type, yep. all theories should be put on the table. And I was imagining before we went on air this morning of being a detective in a, in a, in a sort of a, like a task force, a flying squad, you know, one of these special groups that have been put together Yep. To, and you all sort of, it's like a melting pot. You know how they have those rooms where they have the big sheets of paper and they just, someone's out the front and people are throwing ideas and they're just madly writing stuff down and, and just, even just crazy words. Mm. But out of this comes sometimes incredible ideas. And you cannot discount anything. And one of the very, very, uh, obscure theories about this and it it really piqued my interest Paul Mm -hmm. is that it could have been a man dressed as a woman I find that very interesting hang on where'd you get this theory from mate I found that piece of information in my research one of the theories espoused by some of the police officers at the time that is a very very viable theory in my opinion because typically speaking if a man pulls up and yeah no i get the logic behind it but uh 
it sounds pretty wild to me. Is there anything to substantiate that? Any no. witnesses saying they saw no. somebody? Who, oh. No, but you have to think about women in their 60s and 70s, Paul, are not necessarily predisposed. I've never seen a woman in her 60s or 70s mm. in my life mm-hmm. hitchhiking. No, Ever. that's a good point. I mean, Alison Rook was 59, but yes, she she wouldn't have... I don't think she would have been actively hitchhiking. So it would have had to be somebody who she regarded as trustworthy. I'm not saying that she knew the murderer, but I'm saying, you know, you don't get... Even back then, I would say you wouldn't hop into a car with somebody who didn't seem trustworthy. And the second victim, Joy Summers, she was 55. It was 1981 in October, so it's a little, it's quite a way after that. Mm, mm. Um, and she'd had a stroke, and she usually had somebody going with her to run errands. And she was waiting at a bus stop at 1.20 p.m., 100 meters from where she lived, mm. and that was the last time she was seen. So odds are she was picked up from the bus stop by somebody, and if your theory is correct that it was somebody posing as, oh, God, I don't know, but she, both of these women were found uh, in the bush, Hmm. Okay, uh, so yeah. Paul, with the second woman, Joy, yes. picture yeah. this. You're in a car, you're waiting mm-hmm. near a bus stop because this could be part of your MO. What you're waiting for is a female to to approach a bus stop. You've got the, the bus stop under surveillance. You see a situation where a woman, in this case Joy Carmel Summers... 55 years of age, she just misses the bus. Now, she's not standing there with no bus. What you've probably seen as the offender, this is how my brain would work, I'd be Mm. sitting off the bus stop, I would see someone walking, a female, walking towards the bus stop and actually being aware of that person in time, I'd, I'd be witnessing her actually miss the bus. So then I know that I have got a target. I know that she's missed the bus. I know that on the balance of probability, she's a local. And she knows when the next bus is coming. Here is my opportunity to cruise on up to her and have the window wound down. Also, probably have the door set up so it's it can't be opened from the inside, which is not that difficult to, to organize. You coast on up to the bus stop dressed as either A, a woman, or B, someone she doesn't know, or C, someone she does know. Well, they're the three options in my opinion. And you say to her, I know, I just, I, I'm so, so sorry. I've just seen you miss the bus. Would you like a lift? Right. Where are you going? To me, that sounds fairly plausible. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens if you just rock up in the car? You're probably, you've woken up that morning because it's because you're a serial killer. Uh, probably the day you've, you've got that, that urge. The desire has been suppressed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, these things would be happening pretty well every single day. You know, there'd be countless victims. But I believe, and I think psychiatrists will back me up on this particular hypothesis, and that is that once you've committed the, the dreadful act and you've sort of released, you know, all that sort of demonic uh, sort of frustration and, and desire, and then I guess there's a period of 
there could even be a period of remorse. I don't pretend to know this particular offender, but it's sort of you get it out of your system and you and things are dormant perhaps for a while. Mm-hmm. You may be able to relive the experience, but then after and, a while, yeah. it just it comes to the top. I was going to say this actually. One of the things that I've read about many times is that serial killers, they typically take mementos from their victims so that they can privately relive yes. the thrill of the kill that they've uh, you know carried out. And all of the victims here in these cases, in the Frankston, Tynon, North killings, all of the victims had personal items removed from them. I mean, the bodies were in such advanced states of decay when they were found. Um, due partly to being left in the Australian bush where the elements are pretty intense anyway. But yeah, er- apparently it's possible that trophies were taken from all the victims. But I actually realized that uh, whenever we're going through stories about serial killers and there are victims who were killed over a lengthy period. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. The sources that I'm reading from vary uh, chronologically in the way they lay things out. They either arrange the victims uh, in in order of the time at which they were taken or Mm. the time at which they were found. Yes. So by that rationale, there's actually somebody uh, sitting between those two women we talked about. And she's- She's one that is kind of pertinent. So this is Bertha Miller. She was 73. So we've got two women in their 50s. And in between those two, Bertha Miller, 73 years old. And uh, she was a churchgoer. Uh, It was August the 10th, 1980. 
and she was catching the same tram she usually caught to Paran, which is extremely weird because that's where I live. Mm. Um, she was heading to Paran to go to Sunday service at church and she was meant to meet a friend on the way and uh, she was going to catch the tram. So again, we've got this public transport link. We've got the uh, elderly woman link and uh, the thing that makes Bertha stand out is, as you pointed out, she was she had a link to somebody quite prominent. She was the auntie of the Victorian police commissioner. His name was Mick Miller. So I'm curious as to whether that link resulted in this case being uh, as prominent as it no. was later on. No, no, no. He was adamant. He was a real pro. He was ex-homicide right. squad. Mm-hmm. He was really, really good. And he did the right thing. And he knew that his colleagues in the Victorian police force would be able to work diligently without his interference. And he was a real pro and he, and he kept a low profile. He did, however, when he retired, mm-hmm. become very vocal and was instrumental in sort of a rekindling, like a rebirth, a rejuvenation of this particular cold case. Mm. Paul and listeners... Try and imagine for a moment that a loved one, a relative, has been murdered or, well, let's just say they've been murdered and you know that they've been murdered mm-hmm. and found their remains. 20 years goes by and still no results. The agony that you will take to your grave is insurmountable and... Occasionally, when they reopen a case, there's a faint glimmer of of hope and light that, you know, things may, you know, some information may may come to light. The problem in this particular series of six homicides is that they virtually have no, no, there's no evidence. Mm -hmm. You know, they... It's doing research on this particular case, I found it challenging because there is not a lot of information. And, you know, it's just terrible. But the first three uh, victims, yep. you know, their bodies were found. But here's the thing. The fourth victim, Catherine mm-hmm. Headland, yep. she was only 14. Yeah, so that's a ra- like a radical departure I from know. type. Because yeah. serial killers typically have a type, don't they? They do, but the problem with this case is that her body... So just mm-hmm. to sort of recap, or not recap, but go into Catherine's sort of sad life. Um, she was 14 years of old. She'd come to Australia from England with a family in 1966. She was just one year of age. And she worked part-time at Cole's supermarket on the weekends in the Fountain Gate Shopping Centre. Again, a location that I am quite familiar with. In fact, as a sidebar, that's the shopping centre that was uh, kind of the focal point for the- Kath and Kim. They, oh. um, yeah, that's, that, that's the mall which is based on... It's the one that they based their mall on from the show. So if you're a, if you're a fan of Kath and Kim, you may... Be going, hang on, that sounds very familiar. Okay, right. It's all it's all geographically very local. Yeah, yeah, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, she worked part time at the local Coles, and it's school holidays. 
and this was going to be her first midweek mm-hmm. shift. And she was supposed to start work at midday. So she leaves home at 9.30. She goes to visit her boyfriend. And it was about a one, like, I guess about a two and a half kilometer walk. You know, she gets to the boyfriend's house. They, you know, they there are a couple of friends there. They watch some telly, listen to some records. And then fairly precisely around about 10 past 11 that morning, Catherine leaves her, her boyfriend John's house. And she walks to the bus stop and... She was going to catch the 11.20 a.m. bus to work. Now, she never, ever got on that bus. And she was never seen again. But here's where it gets... This is where you tie the, the sort of the theory of the young and the old together. Mm-hmm. And that is that on the 7th of December 1980, in the same area where Bertha Miller and Anne-Marie Sargent's bodies were found, uh, they found Catherine's body. So what they're now realising is that the victims, and um, we need to go back to Alison Rook, the first victim, mm. around about. So she was she vanished uh, in late May 80, then on the 5th of July 1980, so that's five weeks later. And it's funny how these, not funny, but it's just kind of, it's always sort of strikes me as being unusual how these bodies... And it came to fruition during our talk on the Kim Barry case during the live show. It's the incredible, almost unbelievable um, sort of situation that arises where almost accidentally a, a part of a body or a bone is found, Paul. And case in point with Kim Barry is the guy stops to let his dogs go for a walk. One of them runs into the bush and basically comes back with a head. Oh, God. You recall that on the first night show? Yeah. And in in this particular case, there's a guy walking his dog and he he finds um, Alison's partially hidden body in Scrubland. And and if you look at the maps, you can begin to see there's a, Mm. a real pattern emerging. And then six weeks later, when Carmel Summers goes missing... She, um, you know, there's a man collecting firewood. So, and he just finds her naked body hidden in bushland. Have you been to Frankston North, Paul? Uh, I've been to the area. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Okay. So, there's, uh, there's a very, very strong sort of geographical thing happening here in terms of location. You know, the killer mm-hmm. is not going to take the bodies. I, I'm, I'm still very... Very curious, Paul, because we know there's a motor vehicle involved. Mm-hmm. And they've never found the vehicle. So would you care to... What are your thoughts on... Do you think the, the murders were committed? I'm just wondering how you actually kill a passenger. I just... Well, because then the car is the crime scene, basically. That's right. And if that's the case, then you've got to, what, reset the car between murders? It doesn't really make much sense. No, no. But also, Paul, think about this. You've got a person, yep. a female, sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. They're obviously going to sit. They're obviously going to be in the passenger seat, front passenger yep. seat. Is that is that necessarily true? Could they not be in the back? Or well, think about this, Paul. Yeah. If they're in the back, we know that all these people only wanted a lift to a relatively close point from where they were picked up. At a certain point in time. 
the person sitting in the motor vehicle is going to realize that they're not being taken to where they wanted to go. And that's when things get really creepy. If the person, the victim, is in the back of the car, that is just an absolute, that is not going to happen. I'll Mm -hmm. give you a few reasons why. Firstly, they could get out of the car unless the person had set up both doors, both passenger and driver side rear rear doors, to, to not function properly. But if you're in the back seat, you begin to realize that you are being taken somewhere else. The If you couldn't get out of the car, the next thing you would probably do is you would instinctively scream and probably try and strangle or attack the driver. Would you not agree? Yeah. It's, or, um... or, or try and, you know, get some attention from other motorists on the road. Mm. But if you're in the front seat, Possibly with a seatbelt on, although seatbelt laws were not so strict back in 1980. I believe the only thing you could do, you'd have to do it before you actually... So initially you'd be driving towards the place where the victim thought they were going to be dropped off. So there's no there's no drama. You may involve them in you know fairly light banter. I believe that you would either have a gun... But more than likely, I'm just trying to think whether you'd use a gun or a knife. Uh, you wouldn't be strangling them because you're on a public street. And you've only got a finite amount of time and you don't have a lot of time. Because, you know, these people that were going to these locations, they're only minutes away. So if you stabbed them, you'd be using your left hand. And a lot of people are not left-handed. And where, where on the body would you stab them? And the chances of killing someone with one stab is so so remote. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing's so complicated. It's and weird. It's I mean, another weird detail we haven't mentioned is that three of the bodies were found together. Correct. So at the same time, mm. uh, in November 1980, there were a bunch of guys who were getting rid of, and I quote, sheep offal at a mm. quarry off Brew Road, Tynong North, and then that's where they found Catherine Headland, Amory Sergeant, and Bertha Miller. Yeah. So again, you've got also got victims in the mix uh, of different ages. Uh, Ka- Catherine Amory Sargent and Bertha. Bertha was the oldest of the three victims. So you got 73, 14, and 18. And also, um, Amory Sargent, who was 18, who was the fifth victim, she was hitchhiking. Or she, was, she was known to hitchhike, which means she basically fell into the killer's lap at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, and she'd been to a, um, the old Commonwealth Employment Department. So she was she was doing it a little bit tough, um, the eighteen year old. It's yeah. I'm just looking at a photograph of her, and um, yeah, you know, she left the office during the day. Her dad saw her that morning, and he's the one who actually told the police that he reckoned she hitchhiked because she didn't have any cash at the time. So I know, I know. Yeah. So um, the last victim is the weirdest one for it me, is. though. But I mean, really, there's suddenly the common threads are starting to get very, very thin at this Agreed. point, right? And this particular girl, she they lived, uh, she was Thai, she'd married a, a farmer and they were living out of Melbourne and they came into Melbourne for a concert, but they had a domestic and she just wanted to stay in the car. And the husband came down three times during the night, didn't he, to, uh, to check on her. And the final time he came down to the car, about six in the morning, mm-hmm. she'd gone. <laughs> 
and he never saw her again. Now that's kind of, to me, aside from the the fact that the body was sort of discovered in a nearby sort of vicinity with the other victims, but the MO to me is, is completely different. To me, I'm thinking all the other ones... If I'm thinking an offender, I'm thinking he he probably slept, you know, kind of. I mean, t- just you'd have to get up so early. It's just that to me is, although having said that, Paul, again, we don't know whether she actually vanished at 6 a.m. She That's the last time she was seen. Yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, like you said, all the other victims were seen between about 9 a.m. in the middle of the day. Yes, yes. And they she, were trying to get public transport, but she just doesn't fit that profile. No, no, except unless she went and had breakfast somewhere and uh-huh. just sort of, you know, felt bad about, you know, she'd obviously had a really bad domestic, one mm. of those situations where she just couldn't sort of backtrack and she just thought, look, maybe, and maybe she was going to make her way home, which is a fair, fair way away. And, you know, maybe she stopped and had some breakfast somewhere and ultimately she ended up on a bus stop around about 9 a.m. You know, it's kind of... But it would have probably... She still would have been in that area for some time. I just find it weird that that offender would... Because that's definitely a different time zone, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting because I'm reading here that in 1985 there was an inquiry and the results, the findings of that inquiry was that this was three separate offenders. Yes, so you've got the because the differences between these uh, women was incredible. Mm. You've got the age difference. You've got so five of them were Caucasian. One was Thai. That was Naramol. Mm. Um, the ages range between fourteen and seventy three, and it, it does seem to me like it could very well have been three separate killings. Do you killers? Sorry, do you think that's possible? It's a very good question. Because there have been a few different suspects over the years. I know. There have been three major suspects. Uh, mm. It should also be noted that on a particular Christmas, uh, many, many years later, one of the families received a Christmas card. Mm-hmm. And in that card, they, the person sort of expressed uh, empathy with, um, with the family mm-hmm. and discussed a particular piece of jewellery that had never been found, and the police definitely believed that was written by the offender. But then the commissioner of police also received some correspondence saying that this series of murders would pale into insignificance compared to the Truro murders, which are terrible murders that occurred, which I believe we covered that happened in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Um, So they know that this particular person was still alive, not caught. As I said, there were various suspects uh, but it's un- it's unsolved, and that is so so distressing. I mean, is the offender still alive? Are there people that know the offender? One of or the one offenders, of, or one of the multiple offenders. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one of the offenders, uh, a young guy in his twenties, he had an airtight alibi to do with his time card, you know, Mm -hmm. when you clock on and clock off. And that was discounted at the time. But the ex-commissioner of police, ex-homicide, ex-relative, you know, he said that 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 could easily be be changed, modified, and you could get someone else to clock on for you. So, and I really like that idea. I like that theory, and I I think that would would be well worth pursuing. I don't know where that particular suspect is now, but he would be very, uh, very interesting. It's a very interesting case, Paul. 
uh, and for the detectives involved, I think it's 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 incredible to think that it's one of the the biggest unsolved murders in Australian history. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad it's, we're talking about it. It's bizarre. If there's any, <laughs> I mean, look, a six million dollar reward sitting there, but the six million dollar reward seems based on the premise that this is uh, one body of. I guess body of work by a by a specific killer or killers, but if if the information that these people came forward with, if anyone knew anything, if you came forward with information which actually established that these are completely separate incidents, would they then go well? It doesn't count as part of this group of killings, and could they then stiff you out of some of the money? Is what I'm asking. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I hope we get to the bottom of it, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. It's been very interesting thinking about the amount of crimes that happen without us even knowing because like I said I've never even heard of this but six victims if it is the same person six victims is a is a big deal big deal and this taking place back in 1980 81 82 83 around that period back when you were a cop it's so odd so many things seem to have happened just pre technological innovation in this sort of weird in between space where you know it doesn't really surprise me that this slipped under the radar but six people mm. that, that is a big deal it's a big really deal. big deal yeah yeah well if you want to check in or if you've got any information on this please get in touch at our facebook page at facebook.com forward slash loose units join our private discussion group on facebook now in some loose units related news dad and i are heading off for the christmas break but what we've done is we've actually curated our very favorite episodes of loose units for you so over the coming weeks You'll be able to tune in every week and listen to our favorite episodes from the archives, but we will be sitting down and actually introing the episodes for you. So we'll be setting them up and explaining what it is about each episode that we're really excited about, that we enjoyed in particular, or what traumatized us, because we want you to relive that with us as well. We're really excited to see if you and I, as in uh, Dad, you and I have the same favorite episodes, because we've gone through and had a few, not arguments, but we've had some very passionate discussions about what episodes deserve to make the cut. They they come from all different seasons of Loose Units. They change tones very rapidly, and I'm really excited for people to listen to them. Plus, listeners, you'll be able to listen to our live Melbourne shows on the feed as well. So this Christmas, we're not going away. We're going to have content rolling out for you multiple times every week. So I'm very excited about that. Incredible. So excited and can't wait to set things up for, uh, for the new year as well. But these coming episodes over the next few weeks are bloody exciting. Yep. It's going to be awesome. We cannot wait to share them with you. And we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. We look forward to keeping you company through it. In the meantime, I'm Paul. That's John. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.